following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Today we're continuing on in uh, our series on following Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple of the servant king? What does it mean, as we said in our mission, to be a voice for the king? And I want to make sure that you heard me correctly. I was not in any way, shape, or form trying to be pejorative against the the woman who was passionate about the environment and passionate about uh, her work there in Southern California. I appreciate what she does. I appreciate it. You know who should be the most radical uh, environmentalist in all of the world should be the Christian church. We should be the ones who are most passionate about caring for the creation uh, of what God has given to us. And it's sad that we've sort of sloughed that off uh, to people who may not even believe in a creator God. And so I didn't want you to think, gosh, Bill hates the environment. Uh, and, uh, but uh, what saddened me was I just wish we had more passion for proclaiming the news and being a voice for the news of the gospel. And this morning, we're going to be continuing our look at at what does it mean to follow Christ. And we've talked about some deep theological things. We've talked about who Christ is. We've talked about healings and and what we need to know about him and all of these things that that there's a cost involved and all. But this week, I had some time away, and I was able to literally be away. Uh, I was at a place that had no phone service. It had no internet. Uh, it was outside of a small town that's outside of a small town in South Carolina. And I had to drive 15 minutes into town just to say hey to Lisa in the evening. Um, and then grab a healthy meal at Hardy's and head back uh, to, uh, to the farm. Uh, and to be there and just to be alone. And as I was walking around the, the property and thinking and, and considering... What really started coming back to my mind so often when I consider my own story, something about my own brokenness, the the own way that my sin works its way out and the way that Satan loves to attack me is to remind me of all the times that I've messed up. He he loves to come back uh, and remind me of going, Bill, you, you now may be this, but I remember when you did this and you constantly do this, and you, you do this, and he loves, that, that's his nature. The evil one's nature is an, as an accuser. He, he enjoys pointing out our faults. And I was walking around, and, and here I am in this beautiful place just enjoying uh, life, and I had my gun with me, and I was shooting and having that, and so this little cut, by the way, it's nothing major, it's just called a scope kiss, where I leaned in a little too much on my rifle, and it kissed me. So I'm okay um, uh, in that, but, um, but I was walking, and, and this picture, I remember being at Queens College, preaching at a small church that was meeting there back in 1994, 95. Wasn't even out of seminary yet, and it was probably a horrible sermon, um, and I was there, but a bunch of my friends from home, from Charlotte, were there, and none of these guys were Christians. I'd grown up with them, and we had enjoyed life to the fullest uh, without Christ involved. And one family was there. The parents who were kind of adopted parents of mine were there. And I remember after the service, preaching as I preached about the grace of God and the transformation in my life, the one dad came to me. He wasn't trying to be mean. But he came to me and he said, Bill, I almost stood up and said, yeah, but I remember you when. And that story came back as I was walking along this dirt road this week. And I thought, that's Satan's voice so often to me. 
Bill, I remember you when. You, you give a good image to the people there in Hilton Head, and they think this about you, and they see your marriage, and they see your family, and, and they've got certain drawn, they, they've created this narrative about you that isn't true, that if they really knew you, and they knew how often you messed up, and they knew this about you, uh, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't want you to be the pastor. They would, you're, what kind, I know you win, Bill McCutcheon. And I thought, as we're wrestling with this, what does it mean to follow the servant king? We need to wrestle with and come to a healthy place of dealing with our failures. Of wrestling down to a place where we can then take that voice, which, by the way, over the years I've learned that voice, and I know where it comes from, and as Steve Brown, the great preacher, would say, uh, it's from the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. And, uh, and I was able to go, you know, Satan, thank you for bringing that back to my mind because it reminds me of the absolute grace of Jesus Christ in my life that when you realize what God has done for you, it should lead you to praise. And so I was able to just walk around and just worship God and all of his goodness But for so many of you, you hear that voice and it leads you right back into bondage. It leads you into guilt and into shame. It it leads you to a dangerous place. It leads you into legalism. It leads you into this morality uh, that says, oh no, I have been a failure. I am a failure. I'm going to fail in the future. I've got to buck up. I've got to do more good. I've got to be better about this. I've got to white knuckle it. Or I've got to deny that altogether. And I can't be honest about my past because it's too messy and it's too dangerous and it's got all of that. So you live in this sort of mix, but it's not a freedom of the gospel that you live in. And what we're going to talk about today is really wrestling with our failings and seeing what, one, the, what the problem is, how we respond to that problem, and then ultimately how Christ responds to that problem. So we're going to look at the problem, and by the way, we are the problem. You can just go ahead and and look in a mirror. And the biggest problem in your life is what you will see in that mirror. That's your problem. It's your sinful, broken heart uh, that is still wrestling with the flesh uh, and the gospel of what Galatians was saying, the spirit and the the flesh wrestling together. So we're going to look at the problem. We're going to look at how we should respond to the problem. And then ultimately how Christ responds to the problem. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. Uh, to Mark, looking at chapter uh, 20, uh, or excuse me, chapter 14. And we're going to pick up in verse 53. It's a little bit uh, earlier than I think is printed in your bulletin. But this is the word of the Lord. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands in three days. I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the chief priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, 
Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? And we have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. And he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man or of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would come by your spirit and you would teach us. These aren't just words on a page. They're your words on your page. And there's something that you want to teach us today. So would we see it? Would we hear it? Would we humble ourselves? Would we be encouraged by your spirit? Your people are listening. Speak, we pray. Amen. Thomas Cramner was a church father under the leadership and, uh, of the early church and the Reformation, that he was one of the writers of what would be now called the Book of Common Prayer, if you come out of Episcopal and Anglican backgrounds. He almost single-handedly wrote two of the earliest editions uh, of the Book of Common Prayer with all of its beauty, uh, all of the liturgy. If you come out of those traditions, uh, there's such, such majesty there. Well, Cramner... Was lived with great privilege in the fact that there was freedom within Great Britain uh, and England at the time. But then Mary, Queen of Scots, came to the throne and she began to persecute all of those who were against the Roman Church, against the Catholic Church, and Cranmer was right in her gaze. And some of his uh, peers had been killed and martyred, and Cranmer was uh, imprisoned. And in 1556, in the spring of 1556, on a daily basis in prison, the guards would come to him and demand that he recant of his faith in Jesus Christ. That he recant against the doctrines of grace uh, that, by the way, I'm so happy that so many of you are, are in uh, the 360 seminar with Doug Langhouse because you're learning about these very doctrines of grace that Thomas Cramner died for. Uh, Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And Cramner refused day after day after day to recant, but then after weeks of this, and you can only imagine the conditions that he was in, 
He took pen to paper and he signed his name on his recantation. I imagine the promise was that he wouldn't be martyred or killed for that. But they led him away to a stake and they bound him and they put fire at his feet. And here was this great man who had stood for Christ, who had been a pen and a voice for the very beauty of the doctrines of, of, that we hold today uh, of grace and gospel. And he had failed Christ. He had signed his name, denying these things to be true. He had failed. And it's told of Cranmer that if you have the Fox's Book of Martyrs, you've read this story that Cranmer there on... I think it was March 21st of 1556. The flames were coming up. And it says that Cranmer took his right hand that, that held the pen and he shoved it into the fire. And he held it there without voice, without, without wail, without sound until it burned to a nub. And then he looked up to heaven and he said, Lord, forgive me. And was consumed by the fire and died. Ah. Oh. What a picture of this strength and weakness and the beauty of repentance. And you wonder how would Christ have received him when he closed his eyes. And I imagine, I don't just imagine, I know. The words would have been something like this. Thomas, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. How do we deal with our failings? How, how do we deal with those things that so easily uh, ensnare us, as the scripture says? Well, the first thing that we're going to talk about uh, today in the moments that we have uh, is this. What is the problem? What's the problem? And here's what the problem is. It's really, really simple. It's not deep. It's not profound. Uh, but you might want to go ahead and write it down. Here is the problem. You are going to fail. Categorically, you are going to fail. Every single one of you uh, seated here today is going to fail. You have already failed Christ at some level. You are currently at some level failing him uh, in your life. And you will fail him moving forward. Okay? And one uh, teaching that I used to, uh, that I really appreciate, has been shaped me so much. Uh, it talks about cheer-ups. That we have certain things that we should own and we should cheer up about. And here's the first cheer-up. Cheer-up. You're worse than you want to think you are. <laughs> You're like, what? And we're done for the day. Just go home and ponder that. That'll be your week. Wow, man. No wonder I didn't come to a Presbyterian church before. This is it. Well, no, cheer up. You're worse than you want to believe you are. You really are. And we really are. And we go, ah, that doesn't make us feel good. Well, the next cheer up, and we're going to get to it in a second, really is this. Cheer up. Christ loves you more than you ever dared dream or imagine simultaneously you are simultaneously fallen and messed up and simultaneously loved by Christ and perfect and righteous in him so we have to be honest about these things so the first thing that we want to be honest about is the problem and the problem is we fail we fail regularly Peter's just a great poster child for failure because Peter's motto in life uh, was fire ready aim Peter was just going 
And he was blowing and going and talking. And he had such passion and such deep conviction. And you just would watch him go, Peter, don't, don't, don't. Oh, well. And Jesus just said, Peter, I'm going to build my church upon the confession that you made, which is I am the Christ. And Peter, I'm going to use you powerfully, but I'm going to allow Satan to sift you. And it's going to be difficult and it's going to be painful. Because Peter, he was aware of his failings. Sometimes he, was, he had a good self-awareness, other times he didn't, but later in life he definitely did. And the first sense that we get in his failings was just a little earlier than this story. And it was when Jesus called Peter, James, and John to the garden. He said, guys, it's, I need you to stay with me and pray for me. In his humanity, Christ realized what he was going to face uh, was that wrath and judgment of God. And next week we're going to be looking at that, that picture of Jesus said that he was on the cross, that he was the ransom for many. And we're going to see why we need to be ransomed and the cost of that ransom. uh, And then how do we really appropriate that ransom in our lives. But he was there in the garden. And these men, these three men, James and John, the sons of thunder, who were so passionate uh, about wanting to be first and second in the kingdom. And Peter, who was like, I'm going to go and do anything for you. Jesus comes back and they were out, sound asleep. And he goes, guys, you couldn't stay awake. Pray for me. And Jesus went away to pray And he came back. You know what Peter and James and John were doing? They were sleeping again. And Jesus said, Peter, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is oh so weak. And you can imagine the three guys were like, okay, we're not falling asleep this time. Not three times. No way are we going to disappoint Jesus three times. Are we going to, you know, do this? And Jesus came back a third time and they were sound asleep. And he said, guys, wake up for the hour of my betrayal is at hand. Until they woke up. Sometimes our failings don't come under the heat of persecution. They don't come in any other arena other than simply the fact that we're frail and weak. The fact that, we, that we're fallen. And, and that we, we have a passion that the spirit is willing. I'm going to do this. But the flesh is weak. That it, it can't accomplish Sometimes what we hope that it will accomplish, and it will fail us as we grow in the years. You know that your body fails you, right? It just, things just start to give out that just worked earlier. The knee worked last week, and now it doesn't seem to work the way it was. And I used to remember people's names, but now I just go, hey, you, hey. <laughs> and I, I used to know things and do things, but I just fail now because the body's just falling apart at some level. Because part of the effect of the fall is just this disintegration. And so we're not as integrated as we were designed to be. And so part of our failings just simply comes because we're human. And you need to give yourself a break on that. Some of your failings are just because you're human. You're just fallen. But then there's other failings that come under the light of persecution. And that's the story that we had tonight or today with Peter there. It says that he was following along at a distance behind Jesus. And that he got to the courtyard of the high priest and he sat and it was probably a a time of it was in the spring of the year and it would have been warmer during the day but cool in the evening and so they would have had a fire out at the fire pit and they were sitting around warming themselves at the fire pit and Peter was there and a servant girl, a little girl who had absolutely no standing in society at all, no power, no position, uh, no armor, uh, no anything. She simply said to him, you were with Jesus, weren't you? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And then a little while later, 
she was talking to some more of the people around the fire. She goes, he was with the Nazarene. He was with Jesus. I know he was. And Peter goes, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And he denied him again. At this time, though, he realized it's probably better for me to change location. So I'm going to move away from the fire and the proximity. He moved a little ways away. But then those same bystanders looked at him and said, you are one of his followers for you're a Galilean. You wonder how they knew he was a Galilean. Well, guys, come on. You know when somebody's from the Midwest, right? Or New York or from the South. We have the proper language down here. All the rest of you are very easily identified. Uh, And, uh, you know, but you know folks by their dialect. You know them by their accent. And they would have known a Galilean by his accent. They considered them uneducated and rudimentary. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, Galilee? Can anything good come out of that region of the country? And this time, Peter said, Not only do I not know what you're talking about, but I bring down curses upon me and curses upon you if I'm lying. Basically, it was something, the the Greek is in a sense there that it doesn't, it's not really incredibly clear, but it would have been something probably like this. May God strike me down if I'm lying to you. Would God curse me if I'm lying? I don't know who you're talking about. Or one that, you know, I remember being raised and saying, you should never say this. I swear to God. I swear to God. I don't know this Nazarene is what Peter was doing. And he heard the rooster crow. And we'll talk about that in a second. Sometimes our failings come under persecution. Sometimes our failings do come within a Thomas Cramner situation or in a Peter situation. It doesn't have to be standing in front of firing squads. It can simply be standing in your school. It can be standing in your business. It can be standing in your club It can be standing in your social or civic organizations, but saying people going, you follow that Christ, don't you? You you call yourself a Christian, don't you? How are you going to respond? Oh, no. When you're called out, sometimes our failings really show up. So some of these failings, we're going to fail. We're going to fail in every context. Some of them uh, are outside of our control. Some of them that are in our control. But we're going to fail. And this picture of Peter is a great picture of these failings. Uh, And so what you need to really realize in this, you need to have, as one counselor friend told me, a rigorous honesty about yourself. Can you admit this today? I will fail. Let's say that together. I will fail. Okay. You're going to fail. Look to your left. That'd be my right. Look that way. Guess what that person's going to do? They're going to fail. And if you look that way, that person's going to fail too. So you know what we all have in common here, besides being dashingly handsome and beautiful uh, and uh, at this wonderful church? We have in common this. We're going to fail. You're going to fail yourself. You're going to fail the person sitting next to you. You're going to fail Christ at some level. We're going to fail. And we need to have this, this honest assessment of ourselves. Because here's what we find so often. We have a deep, incredible, microscopic ability with intuitive flair thrown in to diagnose everybody else's failings in the world. We can tell you why they did. We, can, we are so good that we can tell you motive. I know why that person did what they did. Really? Really? 
They didn't smile at me, and here is why. You, you're able to discern, wow, even to the level of a motive. I can't even figure out my own motives. But we're so good at everybody else's stuff, and we're terrible at our own. So the first thing that we need to do today is own this. We are going to mess up. We're going to fail. We just need to recognize that. And we need to become really good at our failings, knowing them, knowing what may lead us to them, knowing the situations where we fail most, knowing the triggers that are there, knowing and diagnosing ourselves well. And if we have blind spots, which we all do, by the way, that I can't perceive myself perfectly, I need to have other people in my life to perceive me and to help see me. And so I hope that you have someone in your life, hopefully it's your spouse if you're married, that it's a parent, it's a friend, it's somebody like that. But you can go to them and say, I know there's an awful lot about me. And I know this and I see these things. But is there anything that I'm missing? Is there anything that I'm missing? Because I want to know myself well. I want to know what situations uh, I fall into so quickly when Paul said, the sin that so easily besets you. That's your pet sins. That's the ones that get you all the time. That's the ones that you should know about and be aware of. I used to have on my wall in college uh, a poster of Benjamin Hawkeye Pierce, uh, the great theologian of the 70s uh, and early 80s in MASH. Younger people are going, who? And it was a quote that he had. And it said, inactivity is the mother of inebriation. Let's think about it for a second. Do you know what I've realized over the course of my life? Boredom is dangerous for me. When I am bored and unstimulated in life, when I am bored and just left alone, that is a dangerous place. Now, I can just acknowledge that and go, okay, good. Or I can say, okay, now I realize that about myself. Therefore, I'm going to let other people into that, my wife most especially, my family. I'm going to put in place safeguards that are going to help me because I know myself and my tendency is to fail, is to sin, is to go in these. So I'm going to put safeguards in place to help me in these situations. And see, it's owning and being honest about our weakness. Most people want to just have this, and men especially have this machismo, "Eh, I'm fine. So how are you doing today? I'm good. You good. 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 Everything good? Everything's good. Good, awesome. Well, my wife hadn't spoken to me in a week, and my kids don't like me, and I'm on the teetering on bankruptcy, and I'm addicted to pornography, and I hate my job, uh, and all of this, but I'm good. <laughs> Instead of just being honest, of saying, This is what I know about me. This is what I know about me, and I have these tendencies, and I have these things, and I'm, I've got a design to fail. And so you have to own those things and be honest. So can we be honest about that today? It's going to help us out later on if we're just honest about that. And so who's the person that is the chief? I mean, Paul said, hey, I'm the least of the, uh, the apostles. Then eventually he ultimately came and said, hey, I'm the chief among sinners. I, I, I know me really well. He had a great self-awareness uh, of his heart. And, and so the first thing, the problem is us. The problem is that each of us will fail uh, at some level and at some place. So then we have to ask the question, how are we going to respond to this failing? How are we going to respond to our failings? How are you going to respond to your failings? For some of you, your response is denial. Kind of already touched on that. For some of you, your response is self-hatred. That you hate yourself for your failings. 
that, that you think that you have to abuse yourself because of your failings. For some of you, your response to your failings is medicating, that you find an addiction. And it doesn't have to be a sinister, dark addiction like pornography or drugs or alcohol. It can just be whatever the addiction is to medicate. It could be way too much exercise. It could be shopping too much. It could be your looks. It could be whatever it is. But we medicate. We see and we recognize, okay, I have these failings, Bill. You don't have to point them out anymore today. I got that one down. I wrestle with it all the time. My self-image is so shot uh, that I have no self-image at all. And so we look at it. And so how are we supposed to respond to our failings? Well, in this story, in this snippet, in this picture, it doesn't mean it's the only response, but here's the response that Peter had. Peter recognized his failings. He couldn't deny it. He denied Christ three times, and he remembered the words of Christ, which said, you're going to deny me tonight three times before the the cock crows twice. And you can just imagine that scene how powerful that scene would be because you know he loved Christ. He was following him at a distance. He was passionate about Jesus. He had given his life to Christ. He was so confused by all of these things that were happening. It was too much for him to handle in so many ways sensory-wise. And he was sitting there and he was watching because he was in the courtyard. And it says that basically he was down in the courtyard kind of like where you are in the courtyard. And Jesus was up in the high priest's home. And he could see what was going on. These interrogations that were taking place. The questioning of Jesus by the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees who were there. And then he could imagine maybe he saw the blows that were coming to Jesus as he was delivered. Or them spitting on him. Or covering his face. And mocking him. And Peter was there. And then to hear out of his own voice, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Cock-a-doodle-doo. It says that he broke. It says, actually, the words in the Greek are he violently threw himself to the ground weeping. If you go and you look at how the Middle East mourns and weeps the loss of loved ones, it's very different from a civilized Western response. We cry a little. We may get upset. But we try to remain composed for some reason. In the Middle East, there's wailing. It says there's tearing of clothing, pulling of hair. Uh, there is just an overwhelming sense. It's incredibly guttural. It comes, and that's what Peter was. He realized what he had done. And it overwhelmed him. It pierced him deep down. That he had denied his Lord and he wept bitterly. I must say that so way too infrequently does the conviction of my sin lead me to that kind of response. But it should. Maybe not with that kind of outward expression. But a deep inward conviction that I just broke the law in the Lord's heart. And I denied him in those ways. So we should respond to our brokenness by being convicted of it. Not condemned by it. Two very different words, by the way. To be convicted versus condemned. Convicted means I have done it wrong. I'm wrong. There is this wrong in me. There's this wrong that I've done. And I own it. And that leads to repentance, which we're in restoration, which we're going to see in just a second. But you have to wrestle with it. Does it bother you at all 
Do your failings bother you at all? Or has your conscience become so seared and callous to it that it doesn't bother you? By the way, if it doesn't bother you at all, you should be concerned. If your constant failings don't bother you at all, you should be concerned. You see, it's one thing to own it, say we're all going to mess up, but that doesn't give us license to just keep in it. Well, I'm just messed up. Preacher said I could just go do whatever I want to do because I'm flawed. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, oh, no, don't sin so grace could abound. No, you should have a desire for godliness, a desire to honor the Lord and be holy and pious in your life. But just know that even in your best attempts, you're going to fail. That's what Paul was talking about. No, don't go and do that. Don't just sin that grace may abound. But you're getting close to understanding things. But we should be convicted by it. That would lead us ultimately to repentance. We should own and be honest about these things. I'm going to step into teaching versus preaching for a second. I, I want a response from you. This isn't a rhetorical question. If you lie, what are you? A liar, correct? Okay. In scripture, it says that if you look upon a man, if you look upon another woman who is not your wife uh, uh, with lust, uh, what, is, what are you? An adulterer. Okay. It says that if you have anger towards your brother uh, in your heart, what are you? A murderer. How many of you in your prayer life have used those words about yourself? Lord, forgive me, for I'm a liar. Forgive me, for I'm a murderer. Forgive me, for I'm an adulterer. Now, we like to gloss it over. Lord, forgive me. My eyes just sort of lingered a little bit today on someone who they shouldn't have lingered on. Lord, forgive me for the little exaggeration of the truth uh, that I used uh, uh, today. Lord, forgive me. And, and we like to not say that we're angry. We like to use the word frustrated. Forgive me for being frustrated uh, today, Lord. We just, but those aren't being honest. Our response should need to be an honest response of being broken under that and owning it and saying, Lord, forgive me for being a liar. Forgive me for being an adulterer. Forgive me for being a murderer. Forgive me for being covetous. Forgive me uh, for being an idolater who wants to serve other gods and not serve you. Forgive me for these things. Being honest and real that leads us to repentance because you have to repent of the right stuff, right? If you come to someone that you love and you've broken relationship, you probably want to say you're sorry for the right thing. For saying, hey, I'm sorry. You ever said that to someone? Lisa does this to me, and it frustrates the stew out of me. <laughs> Honey, I'm sorry. For what? For earlier. Well, what about earlier? Well, you know. Well, no, I don't know. What, what are you saying you're sorry about? <laughs> and I have to actually you say the words, I'm sorry that I fill in the blank. And that doesn't happen often, by the way, in my family. <laughs> I mean, it's a very rare occasion, uh, you know. Uh, it's usually us as parents to our children, but, um, but, you know, it's just this, we have to be honest and own our stuff. And so we have to acknowledge that we have problems. And then there should be a conviction of those that leads us to Christ. You know the essential difference between Judas and Peter? It wasn't that Judas committed suicide and Peter didn't. It was that Peter repented and Judas didn't. That's it. It's not about suicide, by the way. There's such a horrible, damning teaching within the church uh, about suicide. Judas was not lost because he committed suicide. He was lost because he rejected Jesus. 
Peter was found because he was reunited to Christ and restored in Christ. And that's what we're going to see now. So the first thing, admit you have a problem and you're the problem. We're going to fail. Then what do you do when those failings are pointed out, when those failings are brought up? Sometimes the Spirit brings them up, and I'm going to quickly say this. It's not always the Spirit that brings it up. So quit with this whole, well, the only reason he's asking for forgiveness is because I pointed it out to him. If he was really sorry, he would have done it on his own, or she would have done it on their own. You need to go read David and Nathan. David did not repent of his rape and murder and adulterous uh, relationship with Bathsheba until Nathan came and said, you are the guy. You are the man. Sometimes God calls out our sin and our brokenness through somebody else convicting us and going, hey, let me tell you about this. Let me talk to you about this. And how you respond to that is incredibly important. It should lead you to conviction as it did with David. He said his heart was broken before the Lord. So, the problem, we're all going to fail. Our response should be that of leading to conviction and repentance. And then finally, we've got to end and go quickly on this. What's Christ's response? What's Christ's response to us in our failings? Well, a couple of things you need to know real quickly, and you can write these down and unpack them. Uh, first, you need to know this. Jesus never fails us. Jesus never fails us. The picture of Peter's trial that was going on, because he was sort of on trial, right? He was having somebody questioning him, was put in absolute juxtaposition to Jesus' trial. Peter's trial, Jesus' trial. So simultaneously, as, as Peter was failing, Jesus was not. And so what that teaches us is this. Jesus' faithfulness to you is not based on your faithfulness to him. Can I say that again? Jesus' faithfulness to you is not predicated and based on your faithfulness to him. If it was, then Peter was lost. He should have gone and, and been with Judas But it's not based on that. And you need to hear that. That you have a Savior who said, it's my faithfulness that saves you, not yours. That I am the one who will see you and persevere you to the end. One of the very tenets of our faith is to believe that your salvation, what can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus? The love of God in Christ Jesus. Can death? Can anything? Principalities? Powers? Any of this stuff? And the answer is it's an overwhelming no, because it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do on the faithfulness of Jesus, who simultaneously to to Peter's denials was not denying who he was. That's the first thing we need to know in this, that Christ's response is to constantly be faithful to us. That Jesus already sees our failings and knew our failings before they're going to happen. He's the one who told Peter this, by the way. He said, Peter, you're going to fail me. And then when Peter failed, you have to go to the Luke account. But in the Luke account of this, it says that as soon as the, uh, the cock crowed and Peter had denied him that third time, it says that Jesus looked at him. He saw him. I've always wondered what that look was, and I've preached on it before. I know this. I don't believe it was disappointment. I believe it was the look of a Savior saying, I knew you, and I know you. Peter. I've got you. Peter, I've got you. Christ already knows your failings. So you can, it gives you an incredible freedom about being honest about your own. If Christ loves you in the midst of them anyway, that he knows them beforehand, and then ultimately he restores you. In John chapter 21, we don't have time to go into it fully, but John chapter 21, you know what Jesus does to Peter? 
And he seeks out Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, why are, you, why are you doing this? But I imagine in the back of his mind, he must be going, he's asking me three times, because I can tell you three times I fell asleep. Three times I denied him. He said, then Peter, feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Christ restores us in the midst of our brokenness. He restores you to active duty. Because here's what he said after that. Now, Peter, don't worry about James and John. You follow me. You follow me. So here's what we're going to end with. And Matt, your crew can come up uh, while I'm saying this. Here's what we're going to end with. God wants to use you in the middle of your failings, not when you're done failing him. If you are waiting to not fail him anymore before you can be used by God, you will never be used by God. He wants to use you in the middle of your failings. You will never be good enough. You will never be perfect enough. You will never get it right enough. And Jesus says, I'm restoring you now. And I'm going to use you now in the middle of that. And you know what that means? That means that his power then is seen in the midst of our failings. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what Paul said? If I'm going to brag about anything, I'm going to brag about my weakness. Because it's in my weakness that he is made strong. That he is shown to be glorious. Because if he can use this, he really is God. So today, some of you are wrestling. Some of you are wrestling. You can't forgive yourselves for things that have happened in your past. You're failing. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus say to you today, I forgive you. I forgive you for that. My cross is sufficient for you. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Let's pray.